Central. This is Tech Radio. All things computers, gadgets and web happening right now in Ireland. Hear us anytime on iTunes or download from techcentral.ie. How are you doing? This is Dusty Rhodes and welcome to Tech Radio with all the latest in tech from around Ireland and across the world. Remember, there are many ways of getting our show. You can download directly from our website at techcentral.ie. Use a smartphone podcast app like Podcast Addict is the one I'm using at the minute. Uh, iTunes always there for you or you can turn us on every Friday on DAB Digital Radio with RTE Radio 1 Extra. Joining me as always is Tech Central Editor-in-Chief Niall Kitson. Uh, today we're talking about um, Steve Jobs and Apple and Yahoo and uh, the birth rate in Japan, of all things, uh, because, believe it or not, there is a tech angle to this. Uh, but first, I suppose the big story this week, Nile, is Google, and they had their own, their own big launch. Yeah, I, uh, Google had a big hardware event there on Tuesday where they kind of... Uh, I guess they're, it's almost at the stage where there shows at both ends of the year for companies and they, they sort of set out their visions for hardware and software. I mean, Microsoft do it. Um, Microsoft have a couple of events during the year because they, they look to hit different demographics. Uh, Google had I.O. Uh, earlier this year, input-output, um, which was their big developer uh, shindig. And now they, they, this was their hardware announcement. And they had um, well, five things really to talk about. Uh, one of which was kind of a product repositioning, if you will. And uh, there was a few new devices in there that I think were probably more interesting. So the first thing that uh, people thought were, was going to happen was that we were going to see the end of the Nexus brand uh, from Google. Now, Nexus was always the hardware reference a device mm. that Google would use to test Android on. So if you wanted sort of a gold standard, you know, this is Android in its purest sense. The Nexus phones were the ones that you wanted. And it, it, they had kind of an interesting uh, history. I mean, for a while, Motorola was um, the uh, was the Nexus manufacturer. Then Google went and bought Motorola uh, for a ridiculous sum and ended up making a, a massive loss on it when Motorola was sold to Lenovo, who I think in turn is trying to sell Motorola on. Um, I could be wrong on that, but I I, I think that's the case. Mm. So, well, but what uh, Google essentially were doing was they were getting other people to actually make their hardware, but that's changed now, yeah? Yeah, they they got other people to make their hardware before, then they brought it in-house, and now they're, they're taking it out again. I mean, you might remember when uh, the HTC Dream, do you remember that? It was one of the first mass market uh, Android phones, and it had to slide up, um, physical keyboard strange looking machine altogether um, but uh, yeah so HTC is back to, as the uh, hardware partner of choice so we, we have two new Pixel phones coming on the market later this year and they come in large and extra large hey hey they're my middle names <laughs> ha ha <laughs> uh, so, yeah so uh, they're, they're doing what a 5 inch and a 5.5 and a I guess 5 and a 5 inch uh, um, screen um, not an awful lot to report about it to be honest I think it's just the fact that they're getting back into the market under their own brand um, uh, one interesting thing that they're doing um, in terms of memory size is 32 gig to 128 gig so it's they're occupying very much that iPhone space they're, they're not looking to go you know, mid-market or anything like that uh, however they are offering unlimited cloud storage for HD photos and video yeah I wonder how long that'll last 
Well, we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. But I think it's a pretty good differentiator. And if you're Google and most of your services are in the cloud anyway, uh, it kind of makes sense. The color scheme, you're going to love this. Very silver, quite black, <laughs> and really blue. <laughs> Because Google are funky that way. Yeah, they're, they're, they're quite funky. All right, actually. I was looking at the, uh, the presentation that they were doing it and uh, um, two things struck me. Number one was, well, this isn't particularly different from everybody else. Um, and then the other thing was that even the presentation wasn't particularly different from everybody else. I, if, if, if I hadn't seen the Google logo, I could have been looking at an iPhone, Apple iPhone presentation. Yeah, I, I think it's really unfortunate that Apple set the standard when it comes to presentations. And we'll be talking about Apple a little bit later on anyway. But you you really just want companies to, you know, assert themselves and show a bit of personality, uh, but but in a different way. You mm. know, I mean, you can see that uh, with a lot of the Japanese companies um, like Sony and Panasonic, they, they have a style and it's really dry and uninvolving. And there might be an overarching corporate message, but it's it's not great. It doesn't it's it's not a great selling point, even if the message itself is quite mm. interesting. I, I don't think they're very good at selling it. Um, whereas it was almost the the opposite when you looked at Apple, you know, their products weren't necessarily terribly inspiring, especially when you look at the iPhone or maybe the uh the MacBook Air when it came out first, where people would sort of look at these things and uh, they would go, wow, that's, you know, or, or the, the Apple II, the, the, the Macintosh, when, when it first got, um, got its big release, you know, it was all about the big show and not the, not the technical specs. Mm. Uh, and I think that's the danger that a lot of companies are falling into now. They haven't found that sweet spot between explaining why something is good and making it palatable to an audience. That's just my two yeah, cents on it. Yeah, it. it was very much, uh, it, uh, that's, that's what I felt watching the, uh, the presentation. And the only two things really that kind of, you know, struck me about this phone, I mean, it's, it's an expensive phone. It's going to be 700 euro plus if you can get your hands on one. Um, it runs Android, Nougat, big deal. Um, it's got a big screen, big deal. They made a lot of uh, thing about the the camera being the best ever and the most uh, powerful camera and it's got more pixels than everybody else. I don't think anybody cares about that because we've reached a point with cameras on phones now where you get a bloody good picture. Yeah. And I think that's yeah. as, as much as people want, you know, and for the odd person who'll print it and maybe get an 8x10 or something like that, the photos look fantastic. And I think that's as much as people want. Uh, and then uh, they're making a lot of the Google Assistant as well. Um and I suppose they've upgraded some of the things, but they, the demonstration they were giving was kind of like, you know, Google, show me my photographs from July. And I decided to do that on my phone, which is not running the latest operating system. And it did it. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. It's, it's the same old, same old. But so the, the phone, I wasn't uh, impressed with. I would say if you want to get a phone and you want to have a, a good phone that nobody else has, uh, absolutely rush out and get one of these as a first adopter uh, and you'll get a couple of weeks bang out of it. But other than that, I'm not uh, I'm not queuing up for it. There were other things that Google talked about at the uh, the presentation. Uh, let me start with Chromecast, the one we're most familiar with. Yeah, do you have a Chromecast? I certainly do. And I, I don't know anyone that's actually unhappy with, with a Chromecast. Chromecast uh, does, it, it just turns your telly into a, into a smart TV for 40 quid. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that's pretty much all you want, especially when you look at what's happening with smart TVs. Um, I think it was a case, uh, I think Sony 
their smart TV platform doesn't do YouTube anymore because they'd row with Google. Yeah, I know, the one app that you cannot afford to drop from a smart TV. Yeah, is is YouTube, and they don't have it anymore. So this is the kind of thing that you shell out big money for a smart TV and you're still at the mercy of the platform. Um, So if you can reduce that by, you know, a couple of hundred euro for the sake of spending. Uh, how much is a Chromecast these days? It's like 40 or 50 euro. Yeah, it's like 40 or 40 euro. Really cheap. It's still 40 euro. You know, and, and for what I use, because I bought a smart TV and I paid almost double the price for it and it had YouTube and I had a load of other things on it as well, which uh, Chromecast doesn't have. But I never use any of those things. I just want to, you know, watch maybe YouTube videos or Netflix and that's as much as I use my allegedly smart TV for. Yeah, and I'm sure you got a whole bunch of other apps there, like weather and stuff like that, that you, know, you don't use. You just look at your smartphone if exactly. you really want it. <laughs> exactly. Um, so I, we're getting an update for the Chromecast anyway. Chromecast Ultra probably does what it says on the tin. It's the same functionality, only it'll be able to handle things like 4K video um, uh, across, you know, whether you're using a, a Blu-ray player or, you know, a, a HD file or Netflix or anything like that. It'll just be able to handle that that sort of greater bandwidth that, that you need. Cool. So, yeah, I, fine. I, then, I, I think it's an inevitable upgrade. Well, yeah, uh, it's there, so it's just improved that. Uh, speaking of it, it's like Chromecast, uh, go back to the phone slightly, uh, Google Pixel, one thing that was very interesting is that there is a virtual reality headset to go with that, yeah? There is, yeah, the Daydream VR. Now, we, we saw... Um, Daydream a couple of months ago. Actually, it was at IO where they, where they went, you know, this is our vision of virtual reality and it's going to be great. And of course, you know, we're, we're kind of VR junkies at this stage. You know, we're just waiting for it not only to arrive, but to do something really interesting. Um, the, uh, Google Cardboard, can I, can though, I correct is not... You? Can I correct you there? Yeah, go on. Yeah. I was a VR junkie. Really like the thought of virtual reality until I saw Microsoft HoloLens. Now I'm a HoloLens junkie. Now you're now you're an AR guy. Oh, absolutely! Oh, way better than VR. <laughs> way better. Anyway, anyways, sorry. Back to back back to Google and virtual reality. What have they got? Yeah. There? So I mean, we all know that you know Google Cardboard is a very nice proof of concept that you know virtual reality is is here or it can be here, and there's much you can do with it. Um, we are now getting a proper viewer um, called the Daydream VR, which is pretty much a, a straight up competitor for the. Samsung Gear VR uh, with one or two hints of the Oculus Rift about it or the the HTC Vive um, because it's got a little hand controller. So instead of uh, relying on gaze, um, which is what which is what you have with the Gear VR at the moment, you kind of have to stand still and look at something and wait for the phone to catch up with you. Um, it's it's uh, a different controller, which I think will be much nicer. What's kind of interesting about the uh, look of it is that it has sort of a, a, a cloth coating. It's not it doesn't look plasticky, um, which I guess it's a nice little differentiator. But it works the exact same as the, the Gear VR. You just slot your phone in the front of it, um, lock it up. It works wirelessly, um, so connects wirelessly to your phone, but also, you know, has implications for your your headset and all your headset mm. and all that kind of thing, so it's quite neat. And uh, when you're done with it, your hand controller folds up into the um, into the headset chamber flap, or whatever you want to call it, so you don't lose it so easily. Um, price wise, they're actually looking to undercut the Gear VR in the states. The Gear VR retails, as they like to say in America, at about a hundred dollars. They're looking to charge seventy nine dollars. You can get the Gear VR free with um, the S7 mm. uh, over here at the moment. So I can't see Google exactly throwing 
uh, their headset at people um, and going, yay, VR, let's do this. Um, but it is it is a nice looking bit of kit and I wouldn't say no if one was put in front of me. Listen, do you know that what? That, that, that's a perfect Christmas present. Anybody can afford to buy a present of 80 euro. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Big gap. Uh, I'm not too sure. <laughs> <laughs> but it is, it's it's a reasonable amount of money if you wanted to buy somebody a really good present for Christmas because uh, <laughs> the only reason I'm saying that is because I'm writing it on my Christmas list right now. <laughs> Aha. <laughs> so uh, listen, so that was Google. So overall, kind of, I suppose, a, a pretty good show, but nothing really that we're getting uh, wild about. Speaking of those presentations and shows, and we did refer to Steve Jobs. Tell me something amazing about Steve Jobs that is going to flabbergast me. Yeah, well, according to an article in The Guardian, it is five years since Steve Jobs died. This this is the, the week of his anniversary, his fifth anniversary. Five uh, years. Unbelievable. Isn't it? I, it certainly doesn't feel like it. No, 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 no. But then I start thinking back about the, the, the various books that I've read about him and the movies. There's been two movies about him. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and stuff like that. Uh, uh, and then also some stunning figures over the, over the last five years. Uh, how uh, much was Apple worth when Steve died? About $50 billion is the, the figure. Again, I, I saw that in The Guardian. That's, that's their number. Dollar. And what is it worth now? $600 billion. Isn't it strange to square that circle that, you know, everyone talks about Steve Jobs as the visionary and, you know, he was Apple and all this sort of thing. Um, And then when he goes, the guy, Tim Cook takes over, not as big a showman, you know, offered a part of his liver to Steve Jobs, actually, when, you know, when the man was seriously ill. But, um, you know, took over the company, kind of a logistics guy, very good business guy. And um, the value of the company has just skyrocketed under his tenure, despite yeah, not yeah. having that visionary showman quality. I, I think I think this actually speaks. Apple is worth more now that it's less interesting. Isn't that a weird sort of paradox? Not really. To me, it makes absolute perfect sense because people who are investing don't want interesting. They want nice solid, safe. And that's what Apple have been doing. They've been doing, okay, so we do the uh, uh, the iPhones and we do the uh, the MacBooks and we do them very well and this, uh, you, we keep rolling out the smallish new features and people keep buying new ones and it's a premium company. People keep wanting to invest in it because yeah, it's well, safe. It's not going to, you know, kind of go anywhere tomorrow. So See, I, I kind of differ from that view in that I don't think Apple is premium anymore. I, you know, the niches Apple carved out are so well populated now that it, it is a mass market company. And, mm. you know, iPhones aren't much more, you know, expensive than your average smartphone on the market now. I mean, there is, you know, a slight difference. But if compared to the, the new Samsungs or the top line HTCs, they, you know, they're, they're all on a par. So I, I sat down and I put together a list of things that have happened since Steve Jobs left that decisions that were made quite deliberately that were sort of reined in on because you remember when the iPhone came out it had a certain size and that was deliberate when the iPad came out it had a certain size because that was the optimum screen size for casual web browsing so we look at here are the things that that have come around since Steve Jobs sort of uh, shuffled off this mortal coil so we've got bigger iPhones so you know the the iPhone Four was the last of the well. The four S is the last of the small screens. Then it went to the five, the six, six S. We're into now the seven, and we're still with those big screens. Mm. There was the SE that was released. Um, 
which uh, Grand Device hasn't hasn't really caught on because I think people mentally have moved on now across the board to bigger screens. But Apple certainly wasn't a pioneer in that. Um, we've got smaller tablets. We've got the the iPad Mini, which seems to be chugging along quite all right. I mean, the tablet market as a whole is down, um, so it's it's all kind of hard to measure how um, how tablets are doing mm. in terms of innovation. All the innovation in tablets at the moment seems to be in getting the most out of the screen size, but also going in a direction that Steve Jobs really didn't envision for the product, which is as the laptop replacement. Because I I went back and I was watching the original iPad presentation the other day, um, and um, the, the whole thrust of it was, we've got smartphones, they're great. We've got the desktop, it's great. Uh, but they both do very different things. Is there room for a device in the middle which combines the best of one and the best of the other? Mm. Um, so you can run your mobile apps, you can do all that, but you can browse the web and it's a better browsing experience than, say, on your laptop. And uh, they went, yes, it's the tablet. You know, the tablet is the the ultimate in casual content consumption. You sit down, you can read your email, you can watch, you can browse on the web, you can watch stuff. Um, it's fantastic for all these kind of things in a casual setting, right? I mean, you know, the best example of, you know, theatre in this for me was Steve Jobs sits back in the armchair. He's got the iPad in his hand. He's showing this is how you use it. This is where it works. This is where you don't want the laptop on your knees while you're watching something or, you know, when you don't want to be at your desk, when mm. you don't want to be moving around, you know. And that really is where the tablet um, found itself, you know. And and he was dead right, as it turns out. Um, despite a, a little dip in the share price as soon as the iPad was announced, people went, what the hell is this? It's just a big iPhone. And then people saw the applications that came for it and they went, ah, okay, right. Now the current framing of the iPad is that, yeah, okay, you've got your you've got your casual stuff, that's fine. But people want more from it. People use their iPads more and more like laptops, like laptop substitutes. So now we're getting to the stage where we're having bigger iPads and instead of being content consumption devices, they're content creation devices as well. They're becoming more and more uh, productivity tools. So that's that's a big change in what Apple was doing with the it, with the iPad. It, isn't it funny how size is important? <laughs> pardon, pardon me for saying well, that old well cliche. Done. But you well never know. Done, though, Steve, Steve, Steve uh, you know, he had it very specific in his hand. Uh, uh, you know, that the iPhone, when it came out, should be, you know, kind of the, that size screen. And now we've got much bigger screens. And then when he came out with the iPad, he wanted it, it to be a bigger screen. But now we're kind of looking at slightly bigger iPads. Uh, then when laptops came out, I mean, there was a huge rush to get 15, 17, 19 inch laptops uh, and people don't seem to use them anymore. I think what you're saying about the iPad, the iPad is actually being used now like a portable laptop, which is ridiculous because the laptop is supposed to be portable in the first place. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's it's sort of really much an indictment of the state of laptops, although I have no, to say it's HP not is that doing it's a state of laptops. What I'm saying is that, you know, kind of you've got the, these companies that innovate and they put their product out there and they make a big splash. But then human beings in their millions then make their own mind up and, and it becomes something else. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah, uh, I, I, I would like to draw your attention to um, a few things that have happened and a few things that I think are are flops, which I actually think Apple needs. Steve Jobs was never afraid of having a flop. Um, 
Apple in its current form, I think, is. And as a result, I think it's on the way to becoming uh, a much less interesting company. So if you look at the MacBook Air, that's a device that's on the way out. I mean, we've got another thing called the MacBook. It does the same things in a much more uh, refined way. So I think the MacBook Air is on the way out. Wow. I can't believe I'm actually going to say I disagree Really? You think you think the MacBook Air is going to stick around for a while? Oh, longer? absolutely. I think the MacBook Air is an absolute perfect size laptop for working on and uh, doing office work and all that kind of stuff. And uh, the MacBook Pro is great for doing media work on when you need something. Else. I, I have a MacBook Air and I have to say I love it. I re- ironically, I run Windows on it, but I do love the <laughs> I do love the hardware. Okay. Anyway, well, what else? I, what else flops there? So you reckon the MacBook Air is a flop? All right, now what else? I, I reckon. Well, I think it's stalled. Put it that way. Okay. Go uh, on. I don't see anything new and interesting happening with it when we have this thing called the MacBook and the MacBook Pros are looking to be refreshed sometime this month. Um, the watch into its second generation is it. Is it a flop? I think that's a definite flop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, 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 yeah. I don't, I don't want one. I don't need one. Whenever I see somebody wearing one, I'm like, that's a toy. But it's I don't not- even see people wearing them, and even like all the Apple fanboys and stuff like that. That I would know, none of them have one. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so oh, and you're gonna love this one. For for me, this is the the ultimate post Steve Jobs Apple flop, and you are going to agree with me. The Mac Pro. Oh, oh dear. Oh, I'm so torn. I'm so, because you know, you know my heart. If I won the lottery tomorrow, two MacBook Pros is the first thing I'd buy. <laughs> 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 hey, I won the lottery. <laughs> I would love a Mac Pro. I would absolutely love one. I love the shape and the little barrel shape and that. I like the, the fact it looks like a waste paper basket, whatever, like, you know. But the sheer power of computing on that machine, awesome. Oh, yes, I would definitely like one. But again, no one has one. <laughs> yeah, and they're too expensive. They're far too expensive. Yeah, 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 yeah. Ridiculous. And so, yeah, I think uh, uh, I, it just hasn't taken off with the uh, uh, the public. But I think that's because the public are just moving away from uh, any kind of a desk based PC anyway. Yeah, yeah. I thought, yeah, you're probably right there. You're probably right. And everybody. But anyway, that's that's five years after Steve Jobs. Apple, much more profitable, much less interesting. Grant. And on, and on that note, we'll wrap up our news for this week. This is Tech Central, your weekly tech podcast from Ireland's techcentral.ie. Dublin is about to play host to the world's largest lab on a chip conference from this Sunday, the 9th to Thursday, the 13th of October. More than a thousand academics from 40 countries will be attending Microtas at the National Convention Centre in Dublin. Lab on a Chip Technology is finding all kinds of applications from healthcare to ICT to farming. And to explain a little bit more about this field and the event itself, I'm joined by Professor Jans Ducree from uh, DCU. Jans, um, tell me firstly, for, for me, just a man on the street, what is Lab on a Chip? The biggest thing is uh, one of the, the next trends in, in healthcare. It's so-called point-of-care diagnostics. And in, in particular, uh, um, like personalized healthcare, right? So currently, for example, if you go to the doctor, typically he inspects your body 
And if you don't have anything very severe or just come in with a cough, they, they give you like a general medicine, like one thing that kills it all. And uh, the idea is that, in fact, we are all quite different, right? We, we have uh, different ages, um, different uh, health constitution and so on. And it would be much better if we could customize, for example, a drug cocktail also on, the, on a population scale that would have big advantages because we all know that bacteria that cause diseases in us um, um, become more and more resistant mm. to these broadband uh, antibiotics, for example. And um, if, if you can individually screen a patient, uh, you can, for example, then customize a, a drug cocktail that minimizes adverse side effects and optimizes the, the therapy. And for this, you need little gadgets that would, for example, take a, a sample of body fluid, let's say typically a blood sample, right? You can analyze very uh, specifically what what is missing in the patient and then you can tailor make whatever uh, uh, either the, the, the choice of the drugs mm. or the, the, the combination of drugs or the concentration of drugs based on that individual analysis. And these lab on a chip systems are typically like credit card sized or CD compact disc format sized uh, well um, um, cartridges mm -hmm. right that contain all the reagents and uh, all the analytical procedures to provide these results at the so-called point of care. So either in a doctor's office, at the bedside, in the hospital, and in a further step, even in, in, in self-testing at home, similar to what we are used to in when you, for example, have diabetes and, and measure your blood sugar, or if you have, uh, like for pregnancy testing, we are used to that. But we are working on... Um, essentially implementing more complicated tests, you know, that would usually only be done in a central hospital lab and provide them uh, to the patient at home. So, for example, for, for monitoring chronic diseases or if you just want to have a quick health check or even for wellness applications, you know, if, if you're feeling a little bit bad but don't want to go to the doctor but maybe you need a little bit of, of, of a food supplement or, or something like that. And that's the idea behind it, that you have these little test gadgets that at the point of care, at the uh, where the, the patient is located, could provide that on on a on a automated way, so you don't have to be a, a lab technician to run these things. And of course, also the the cost targets need to be suitable because there's only that much money that you want to spend on on such a test. So this lab on a chip technology is built on a thing called uh, microfluidics. So tell me, what what exactly is microfluidics? Yeah, like we all know like uh, piping networks, liquids, you know, in our households, in sewage water, in, in water supplies. There you move liquids, typically water, through pretty large channels and store them in, in large reservoirs, right? And microfluidics, as the name says, is a miniaturized version of that. So instead of having centimeter or even meter uh, diameters or of, of, of pipes and so on, we use... Um, technologies that are similar to modern uh, uh, microelectronics. And so we fabricate these kind of uh, pipes and, and channels on the scale of the diameter of a human hair or up to, let's say, the order of tens of uh, a millimeter, right? That's where the micro comes from. And doing that, you pretty much change the rules of the game because, for example, in um, in our households, we need pumps and so on to, to pressurize the liquid so they go up to the upper stories. But similar to uh, in nature, 
right? There are certain mechanisms in if you go to the micro scales that eliminate the pumps. The best example is, for example, a tree that evidently does ha- doesn't have a pump, but that has an effect called capillary action that will carry kind of uh, without any apparent uh, machine or so driving it, uh, the liquid, so the water with the nutrients up to the very top of the tree. And we use these kind of mechanisms which which make use of of water-friendly surfaces, they are called hydrophilic and so on, to manipulate liquids. The... um, Interesting thing is actually that most living matter is based on mycophilitics. So we all have uh, arteries and veins and they end up in little capillaries that supply the nutrients and oxygens to all the places in the body. So mycophilitic systems kind of use similar effects as they are um, omnipresent in nature and use them for technological applications. Most of them try to interrogate like um, biological information about us. So certain molecules, hormones or antibodies like uh, for our defense against diseases, right? And these microfluidic systems try to detect them in samples, typical liquid samples of our body. So blood or saliva or urine. It is absolutely fascinating the work you are doing, and I can see that you know in ten or fifteen years' time that that that, that, that like smartphones we have today with computers in in, in your shirt pocket. I think uh, you know the lab uh, on a chip is going to be something that is going to completely revolutionise life. And uh, it's great to speak to somebody who's literally at ground zero and inventing it, as far as I can see. And <laughs> um, listen, best of luck with the uh, the conference next week. Jens Ducree, uh, professor at uh, DCU. Thank you very much for telling us more this is tech central your weekly tech podcast from ireland's techcentral.ie that is almost it for our show this week uh niall kitson tell me uh what is our one more thing for this week uh well i'm just gonna say one word or rather two and um just go go to our page on techcentral.ie and you'll find all about it um kirobo mini there you go. That's very enigmatic. Mini. Mm. Take Niall's word for it. Go look, because believe me, you will thank us. You can get more on that and all of the Irish tech news with hourly updates, uh, daily newsletters and more from uh, techcentral.ie as well as our tech radio show, of course, online and broadcast every Friday at 6pm on DAB Digital Radio with RTE Radio 1 Extra. Until next weekend, from myself, Dusty, and from Niall at Tech Central HQ, thanks for listening. Take care. Get Tech Radio. Subscribe for free with iTunes or download on demand at techcentral.ie Tech Radio is produced by digitalaudioproductions.com Tech Central